please stand for the reading of the gospel. We read from Luke's gospel, chapter 21, beginning at verse 5. As some were talking about the temple, how it was decorated with beautiful stones and offerings, Jesus said, These things that you see here, the days will come when there will not be one stone left on another. Every one will be thrown down. They asked him, Teacher, when will these things happen? And what is the sign that these things are about to happen? He said, Watch out so that you are not deceived. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is near. Do not follow them. Whenever you hear of wars and revolutions, do not be terrified. For these things must happen first, but the end will not be right then. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines, and plagues in various places. There will be horrifying sights and great signs from heaven. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and will persecute you, handing you over to synagogues and prisons, bringing you before kings and governors for my name's sake. It will turn out to be your opportunity to testify. So make up your minds not to prepare beforehand how to defend yourselves, For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends. They will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all people for my name's sake. But not a hair of your head will perish. By patient endurance you will gain your lives. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are inside the city get out. Let those who are in the country not enter the city. For these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that has been written. How terrible it will be for those who are pregnant and nursing infants in those days. For there will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be taken captive to all nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. And on the earth nations will be in anguish, in perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the surging waves, people fainting from fear and expectation of the things coming on the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with with power and great glory. But when these things begin to happen, stand up and lift up your heads, because your redemption is near. This is the gospel of our Lord, we pray. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Dear fellow redeemed friends in Christ Jesus, who holds the past, present, and future in his hands. There was a relatively famous 20th century philosopher who made a brilliant observation regarding predictions. He said, it's tough to make predictions, especially about the future. Some of you have probably heard that quote. It's accredited to a man named Yogi Berra, the famous philosopher and also the all-star awarded catcher for the New York Yankees. Now, whether, whether Yogi actually said those words or whether he actually originated them uh, is up for debate, but, but either way, they're true, right? They're true words. The future is unpredictable, and we're reminded of that fact just about every day, aren't we? You watch the weather forecast, and then the next day comes, and you notice the weather, and you realize 
that no matter what they say, their weather forecast is nothing more than an educated guess, right? They don't know for sure. That's why they have to allow themselves a five degree um, range of, of what the temperature will be. Or this past week, you know, last, last week at this time, every political commentator that you listen to, I don't care if it was CNN or Fox News or, or where you get your news, every one of them was saying there's going to be a red wave. Well, when Tuesday came around, it turned out to be what a red trickle. They didn't really know what they were talking about. Two years ago, did you hear anyone predict that we'd be paying almost $4 a gallon for gas? I wish they had told us that, but they didn't know. No one knew. Last but not least, who would have ever predicted that the Vikings, the Vikings of all teams, would be in command of the NFC North? It's getting so bad that I'm considering doing something absolutely unthinkable. I'm considering asking my wife if there's anything on the honey-do list so I don't have to watch the Packer game this afternoon. <laughs> Just don't tell her I said that. Predictions. You can't predict the future, right? The, the future is unpredictable, and yet that's exactly what we're going to study this morning. We're going to study Jesus' predictions about the future, and we're going to make a larger point in why we can trust what he says about the future. Don't, you can't trust the meteorologists, the, the political talking heads. You can't trust sports analysts. But we can trust Jesus, and we're going to see why we can trust his words about the last things. This text is very difficult because Jesus is talking about two different things. It's not until the end of the text that we know he's talking specifically about the end of time. And this is what he says is going to happen. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars, and on the earth nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the surging waves, people fainting from fear and expectation of things coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, in recent months and weeks, we've seen some pretty terrifying pictures uh, we've seen pictures coming out of Ukraine, war-torn Ukraine, and the devastation that has taken place there due to war. We've seen the aftermath of now two hurricanes within the span of a couple weeks hit Florida and seen the devastation wrought by those natural disasters. And, and, and they are signs that the end is coming, but, but really they're more like a, a movie trailer or a teaser. Now, as horrible as those pictures from Ukraine and Florida are, they're just a preview, just a small snapshot of what's coming on this world. It's going to be worse than anyone could ever imagine. It's going to be like nothing this world has ever experienced. But again, the question is, why, why should we take Jesus at his word? Why should we believe him? Well, fortunately, the Bible gives us kind of a litmus test when it comes to prophets and prophecies. In the book of Deuteronomy, the Lord said, if a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord and the thing does not come about and does not come true, the Lord has not spoken that word. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. Do not be afraid of him. So the litmus test is pretty simple, right? If a prophet speaks a prophecy and that prophecy comes true, well, it must be from the Lord. If it doesn't, it did not come from the Lord. 
how do we apply this to Jesus' prophecy? Well, like I said before, Jesus is talking about two different things, both lying in the future, but one of them is near term. He's telling his disciples as they're looking at the temple and saying, Lord, look at how wonderful this temple is. Look at how beautiful it is. And Jesus pours cold water on them and says, you see these things? The time is coming when not even one stone is going to be left on top of another. And then he warned them what to do to to preserve their lives. He says to them, um, Jerusalem is surrounded. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are inside the city get out. Let those who are in the country not enter the city. And in 70 AD, when the Romans raised Jerusalem to the ground and the temple, this prophecy was fulfilled. Jesus proved in the short term that his words can be trusted, that he speaks a message from the Lord. And he, he actually saved a lot of lives by giving this warning. When the Christians saw the Roman armies beginning to surround and besiege Jerusalem, they ran. They knew that it wasn't a good idea to stick around. Many Jews, however, many unbelieving Jews did not. They stuck around. They thought in their own minds, the Lord will never allow his capital city and especially his temple to be destroyed. And yet Jesus' words proved them wrong. Jesus' words came true in 70 AD. And so... That is why we can believe Jesus when he's talking about something that lies in our future because he's already proven his ability to predict the future with perfect accuracy. Now here's where the the lesson gets a little convoluted. Even as Jesus is describing the fall of Jerusalem, he's also describing the end of the world. So both of these things are in sight. It's kind of like if you're looking at a mountain range and you, you see... There's one mountain that's bigger in your perspective because it's closer to you, and there's a mountain range that's farther away and they seem smaller. Jesus is describing a mountain range of things that are happening now or happening then in 70 AD and will happen in the future. And he's saying these are the signs that you should look for, that the end is getting close. And there are really four different areas that he says to look for signs in. Political and natural, and um, personal, and religious. So the first is political. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. Well, not only have we witnessed Russia going to war with Ukraine, but I think it's become very clear, this past election has made very clear that there is a, a sharp division even in our own country, that our country is divided almost in half, politically speaking, nation against nation, even political party against political party. In nature, Jesus says, there will be horrifying sights and great signs from heaven. Now, I don't think we could see it here, even if you were awake at 3 or 4 in the morning on Tuesday, this past Tuesday, but there was a lunar eclipse. Something terrifying happened. The moon went dark. That's a sign. That's a sign. Not that necessarily Jesus will return today, but it's a sign that the end is drawing ever nearer. There will be signs in the religious realm. Before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and will persecute you, handing you over to synagogues and prisons, bringing you before kings and governors for my name's sake. Now, we still in America are able to enjoy 
our religious freedom. We are free to worship where and when and whom we want for the most part. And we should give thanks for that because there are Christians, millions of Christians all over the world who do not have that freedom, who must worship in secret or risk being persecuted or even risk being killed. But even in our own nation, we have experienced over the past couple of years how easy it is for the governing authorities, if they want to, to shut down our in-person worship services. We know as Christians, living in a society as we do, an open society, we know that our points, our scriptural points of view, preaching the truth of the Bible, especially as it, it flows right in the face of the modern moral revolution, we know that those points of view, those perspectives, those opinions, those truths are coming ever more under attack. We know that. It's a sign. The religious persecution of the church by the world is a sign that the end is drawing near. But perhaps for most of us, the most troubling aspect of this, the most troubling sign Jesus saves for the end, he says, you will be betrayed even by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends. They will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all people for my name's sake. Perhaps the scariest thing, the scariest sign is that our own families and friends will turn against us. They will betray us. And it doesn't have to be an outright betrayal. I don't think we necessarily at this point should be imagining that our brothers and sisters are going to drag us into court and sue us or drag us so that we are imprisoned or even put us to death. But it is painful as we approach this holiday season, as we think about Thanksgiving, that not everyone that we gather with, not everyone that we call our blood relations actually believe what we do. That as we gather around the Thanksgiving Day table and we eat together, we can't really pray together because they don't hold to Scripture like we do. And maybe they don't want us to talk about Jesus. Maybe they don't want us to talk about what the Bible says about all sorts of different topics. And that type of persecution can be just as painful as anything physical, can't it? Those of you who are looking forward to that know it. You know, even something as simple as we have a family policy where we don't discuss politics or religion at the table. Why? Why should that be necessary? There shouldn't be that type of lingering, underlying hostility among family members, should there? So this, this persecution from even family members is a sign. It's a sign that the end is coming ever closer. Well, you're glad you rolled out of bed this morning for this cheerful message, aren't you? Now, where's the good news? When and how is this going to get any better? What Jesus is describing here is just the world spiraling down the drain. And that's true. And we will get to the good news. We will see how it gets better, but first we have to understand why this is all necessary. Uh, Jesus spoke these words on Tuesday of Holy Week, just three days before he was about to be nailed to a tree to atone for the sins of the world. And I think that Jesus is even alluding to that a little bit here. Remember earlier in John's Gospel, in chapter 2, he had, he had called his body the temple. That they could destroy the, the temple of his body, but he would raise it up again in three days. And I think Jesus is alluding to that fact in his discussion 
of the temple here. But the, the greater point, the, the reason we need to see the necessity of this difficult, these difficult things that will take place is that what's true of Jesus is also true for us. What's true for the Christ is true for every Christian. Just as he had to endure persecution from the political world and the religious world and even from his own closest friends and family, so will we. That's all under the umbrella of living under the cross. That's why we hold the cross as the symbol of Christianity. We live under the cross each and every day. Have you ever noticed how frequently that comes up in our worship services? That we begin our service with the sign of the cross. That when we baptize children, the sign of the cross is placed onto their head and onto their heart. That when you receive the absolution, you receive it with the sign of the cross. That when you receive Holy Communion and are dismissed, you leave with the sign of the cross. That when we give the blessing at the end of worship, it's with the sign of the cross. Maybe each of you in your personal lives, when you wake up, you are reminded to cross yourself to remember, I am a child of God. We live our lives under the cross just as Jesus lived and died on a cross. And that's a powerful reminder that we are not, the way of the cross is not one of life, but one of death. That just as this world is slowly dying, so are we. And these signs assist us along that path. These signs, as painful as they are for us to endure, are a reminder that we are dying to this world, that we are dying to ourselves, that we are dying to sin so that we can be alive to God and live with Him forever. That's what those signs are bringing us. They, they strip away these attachments that we have to this world. And those of you who have a few more years under your belts, you know this, don't you? You know that as you begin to go to more funerals of friends and family than you do weddings, that life gets a little bit lonelier. You know that as it gets a little bit harder to get out of bed, that this world doesn't have, isn't as attractive as it used to be. You know that as you see in your own life, you know, every grandmother says the exact same thing, right? What is this world coming to? Every generation of grandmothers throughout all of history has said the exact same thing. What is this world coming to? In our own lifetimes, it always seems like it's getting worse. It is. It is. That's okay. It's a sign of the end. It's necessary. And that reminder, those signs, should be a reminder of what? When our bodies break down and our political systems are at war and life seems to be spiraling down the drain, what does that force us to do? It forces us deeper into the Word, doesn't it? To find some assurance. To be drawn closer to Jesus. And that's the good news of this. That even as we die to the world, we become even more alive in Christ. And did you, did you hear the comforting assurance that Jesus has? He says that even though you may be killed for your faith, even though your friends and family will hand you over, even though there will be terrifying scenes in the sky and in the heavens and nation will rise against nation, not even a hair of your head will be harmed. 
Instead, by patient endurance, you will gain your lives. These signs of the end, the fact that our world is not working the way God intended it to, is a reminder that this is not life. God did not intend us to be at war with each other, with our families and our friends. He did not intend our bodies to break down. He did not intend nation to be at war with nation. He intended us to live in harmony with him and with each other. This is not our true life. Our true life is the one to come. The healing that Jesus will bring when the Son of Righteousness rises on that last day. And so I think you can maybe picture it this way. And I think Jesus is driving us towards this with his prediction regarding the temple. Think of this world and even think of your own life like a building that's under construction. And it's covered right now with scaffolding. And you know, scaffolding is kind of flimsy and temporary. It's ugly. You would never want scaffolding to be around your house permanently. But it has to be there because there's something being built underneath. And when it regard, But when the building is done, then you take the scaffolding down and you can see what's been built. And so I think in regard to the temple... The temple, while it did play an integral role in Israel, it was the place where God dwelled among his people on earth. Once Jesus, the Son of God, appeared to dwell personally among his people, didn't need the temple anymore. The scaffolding could be torn down because the real thing was here. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was here to dwell physically among his people. As we see and and. It brings us no joy, but as we see the institutions, the nations, the relationships of our world, as we see them crumbling before our very eyes, it certainly gives us no joy, but that is simply the scaffolding under which God is building something much better and much bigger. He is building an eternal kingdom. He is building a people of kingdom and priests who will serve him at his throne forever. That is all being built even as the institutions of this world are crumbling before our eyes. And that's true even in our personal lives. Did you notice that the first warning sign that Jesus gave didn't have to do with politics or weather or or anything like that? It had to do with faith. He, He warned them. Watch out so that you are not deceived, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is near. Do not follow them. Jesus' greatest concern is not for our earthly comfort, but for the salvation of our souls, which is offered through faith. His greatest concern is that our faith may be preserved in spite of all the terrible things that we're going to see, the awful things that we might even experience in our own lives. He will preserve our faith. But sometimes... He needs to take the scaffolding down around our lives too, doesn't he? That sinful flesh that is so attached to this world, he needs to cut that down. If we're too attached to our earthly wealth or possessions, he might have to knock that scaffolding down. If we're too attached to the people in our life, to our families, he might have to knock that scaffolding down. If we get too wrapped up in politics or the NFC standings or the weather, he might have to knock that scaffolding down and hurt us in order to heal us. To remind us that this life is not all that there is, that the life to come is what we are really looking for, and this is just a precursor. 
So all of those signs, painful as they may be, it's knocking the scaffolding down of, of this temporary life and preparing us for the life that is to come that will never end. So whether it's the destruction of the temple in 70 AD or whether it's the, the crumbling of the world around us or whether it's the day that we breathe our last, it's all part of God's plan of salvation. Yes, it will get worse before it gets better. We see the signs of it all around us. But even as you're looking at those signs, you know what to do, don't you? Stand up. Lift up your heads, for your redemption is drawing near, because unlike Yogi Berra, Jesus' words are absolutely accurate and trustworthy. As he says in just a few verses after this, heaven and earth may pass away, but my words will never pass away. Amen.